Hi everyone, welcome into True Crime. Me, your host, Kathy Cassidy. And today our guest is Gina Barnett. She is a forensic researcher. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited for us to finally connect. We've been trying to do this for a few days. I appreciate you being patient and working with me. Of course. So tell me, tell us all, like, I'm a forensic therapist. And so, and then what you do, tell us about your researcher. So as a forensic researcher, I have multiple variables in my job um, from helping on crime scenes, determining what the cause of said uh, death was, or helping out on the field doing different research uh, projects for military, for law enforcement, for universities, um, different aspects, I guess, of criminal uh, forensics. Okay. So let's say for an example, there was homicide. Does it have to be a homicide or is it any death? Any death. Okay. So any, pardon me, any death that they need further investigations on. So a suspicious type of death. Correct. Okay. So let's say the police calls the local police calls your place of work and they ask to send out. So you're like an investigator, also researcher, but a little investigative. Correct. So with the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, um, there's multiple um, not certified forensic anthropologists because there's very few certified forensic anthropologists within the U.S. It takes a lot of schooling, a lot of uh, study hours. Um, we do have a couple at the University of Tennessee, uh, one of the most famous, Dr. William Bass, who started the body farm. Um, but they get in touch with one of the doctors there, and then we in turn uh, help investigate whatever scene is is going on. Um, also work along with some other doctors that work within different counties around East Tennessee. Okay, so you guys would go out your team, you and your team, and then also the coroner goes out. Homicide detectives. Are you all kind of working simultaneously? So the coroner is a, an elected office. Uh, they're a medical examiner, um, but they go out. Yes, the the crime scene division for that county, um, and yeah, we work on everything. Uh, the cases together. Graduate students from the universities. Um, there's different, I, I you know, I guess different scenarios. Um, depending on where it's located with within the county, uh, depending on what activity it is, what they need done. Um, You work for the university? 
I work with the university. With the university, like yes. did okay. Correct. So, can you give us like an example, maybe from kind of start to finish, of how a typical situation or scene or call would go? Um. I don't know how to go. Um, so, I'll, okay, uh, prime, prime uh, occurrence that happens around East Tennessee. Uh, we have a lot of old land around here. A lot of people have large uh, farm areas. It's not uncommon for a dog to come up carrying a bone. Okay. So, we have to determine is is that a human bone or is that non-human and a lot of times law enforcement don't um well they're not trained exactly in different differentiating between the two mm-hmm. a lot of times they will send us a picture no measuring uh device of any sort and say what is this? No. And so you have They're to like, go I'm going to need a little more info. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, to them, it, it, it's always suspicious. And obviously to any person, you know, if a dog comes up carrying a bone, I'm going to be like, yeah, well, what happened here? True. But, yeah. Um, thankfully, a lot of the times it happens to be animals, but um, we end up having it either a can be sent to the university from out of state um, or we go to the scene and uh, start figuring out from there. Uh, most of the time you can tell like in a bone, for instance, um, the, the um, different textures, um, the design of it, the landmarks, are different mm-hmm. in in humans than they are um, in animals. Okay. Um, now, as far as like shootings, homicide stuff like that, more um, law enforcement is usually the one to primarily hit uh, those scenes first. And if extra help is needed, then we would correspond with them. Okay, so let's say it you guys determine that it is a human bone then how then what happens so we always say probability it's never we can't ever say 100% on anything so we always say it's probably a human bone from there you have to start figuring out okay if there's this bone here then we map out the area draw still hand-drawn uh everything (laughs) on on graph paper even with technology we we hand draw everything and then you start excavating a site little by little to see what else was there um you know is there a river that was close by is there a creek that was close by could something have have dragged other uh skeletal elements downstream um so Mm -hmm. there's a large process that that's involved with um the the forensics or finding the deceased okay so first I just want to backtrack to make sure I understand so first you get a bone just for example you receive a bone however you receive it and then you determine if it's human 
versus any other species by the weight, the look, the texture. That's the is that the only way to determine basically by visual clues? Usually visual. However, um, we can do um, different uh, testing. You can uh, take core samples and have them tested if. Uh, you know, sometimes infant uh, bones are, are very, it, you could walk over them and think it's just a stick on a trail. They're so teeny tiny that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can take core samples of them and have them further tested from there uh, okay. you know, in, in the labs. But for the most part, with all of the other elements, you're able to differentiate between the two. Okay. So your position is essentially figuring out, is this a human bone? And what else is part of, once you determine that, what else does your your team do or your job type? So, so at the, okay, the University of Tennessee, um, it's, most famously known for the body farm mm-hmm, or which otherwise we're... the anthropology research facility. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also another part that we have is uh, the collections. It's the William Bass collection. And it's where we keep every donor that has ever been placed onto the field. They are cleaned and put into the collection for uh scientists all over the world to come and study them. So once a person is has donated themselves, decided this is where they want to be, they will remain with us for eternity. Um, okay. The movie the movie The Blind Side where she said there's bodies under the stadium. Oh. Kind of kind of true. Um the collections used to be housed in the anthropology uh, department, which was under the football stadium, but since oh, wow. has <laughs> has moved. But um, so a lot of what we do is researching um, just different variables um, at, that come into play with with death and, and decomposition. Um, one of my largest uh, research projects that I helped on was to see how long are prints viable from the time of death? So, you know, in, in the heat of East Tennessee during the summertime, you could be looking at a day and winter time, you could be, it, it, it's extremely short. And, and we also uh, do iris scans. um, And that is even shorter because, you know, it, it shrivels up pretty, shrinks pretty fast, dehydrates and makes it, you know, unable to uh, detect everything, but um, that's one of the largest ongoing um, ongoing research projects, but there's, you name it, we're researching it on, on the field. Um, yeah, that's it, fascinating. So tell it, us about the body, um, and because you did your internship there? I uh, got my um, undergrad at the University of Tennessee, yeah, at the body farm. Um, I worked uh, on the field there for five years. Um, It is one of the most well-known research facilities. And 
people uh, donate themselves to science. And then once they pass away, we take them and place them on the field and uh, do whatever research is uh, needed to be done at that time. Um, if I wanted to, if I say, okay, I want to donate my body to science, does it automatically go to the body farm or do you have to specify that you want it to go to the body farm? You specify that you want it to go to the body farm. Uh, okay. There is, there's a, a application per se that you fill out and live donors come in. We take fingerprints, we take iris scans hair samples, um, uh -huh. uh, we, uh, fingernail, a little bit of everything because it's used for several different departments. Um, so you do all utilize that before everything. you die. Correct, yes. Okay. And then once someone has passed, we get a call and we either pick them up or they're brought to our facility and then we do a once over again fingerprinting okay. iris scans okay so many questions so okay say i go to the body farm I, that's all at my own cost is that mm -hmm. correct okay so no. i would pay it, to go there do all that and within a hundred miles it's free okay all right so then i do that so if i die or when i die how would they know that I want my body to go specifically there, like at my time of death. A, a lot of times family members um, have the information uh, and um, I guess kind of like um, when they do their death planning, they let us know, you know, oh, hey, uh, so-and-so passed away. We, we in order to be placed on the field, requirements are that we have them within, I think it's 72 hours of okay. death. And also, um, you cannot be embalmed. Um, so, I suggest to anyone who's doing this, just in case family, they don't have family or whatever it may be, that maybe they keep some sort of um, request in their wallet by their ID. Yes, that, yes, absolutely. Um, met, you know, a lot of um, the elderly people in, <clears throat> excuse me, let the nursing facilities know what's going on or they keep something on them so that way we can be contacted. Mm -hmm. And it's also we do everything. We are so appreciative for the donors that we have and their family members for letting us um, have their loved ones to work with. And because of that, we allow family members to come not necessarily onto the farm itself, but into our lab area and okay. um, to be able to say, you know, their goodbyes. And, and if there's something that you want to to keep with them forever, you know, a ring or, or something, it follows them all through the process and will stay with them until the collection is no more. Okay. So, so, so the body farm is a little over, little over three acres of land um, located 
near the uh, University of Tennessee Medical Center. And um, it is fenced in, so that way nobody can look, Lou. Uh, it's not not allowed just anyone to get in. Um, but So high privacy fences? Oh, high, yes, high privacy. There's Constantine wire around it. I mean, it never fails. People have tried, and they never make it all the way in. So, um, wow. um but it's it's a wooded area there's some small areas that are not um as shaded as others and um there's pathways that are throughout the property and um we plot out different areas to place donors and carry out what whatever research is is needed uh to be done okay so bodies is there a limit of how many bodies are there (laughs) we try to limit it to a hundred a year um and that we can vary a little bit however um three acres may sound large but it's not that big when you're when you have tons of, of research going on at the same research projects going on at the same time. Um, yeah. Each doctor has, uh, it, I guess, is head of you know their own investigation or research that's going on. Like um, one of the big ones is mass grave detections. Um, so there trying to figure out, uh, you know, the best ways to locate mass graves. And so we replicate that, but that obviously takes up a large chunk of the land that we have. So it it's not as big as we wish. However, there's no m- more room for us to expand. Okay. So what happens? So the body's there one year? Is that what you were saying, approximately? Um. Well, it depends on how long it takes for the uh, donor to uh, decomp all the way. It, uh, it When a donor is placed during the wintertime, it's going to last longer than during the summertime. So okay. for the most part, uh, once we receive the donor, all of the information that we need uh, from them is taken. We bring them out to the field, place them in whatever location um and sometimes they're covered other times they're not covered depends on what the research calls for um and again it it depends on how how warm it is um some have been out there for two years um you don't want to bring any a donor that has a lot of soft tissue into the lab early because it's not a fun process to get them uh, cleaned and ready for collections. Our students don't like it very much. What, what is that? I'm not sure what so, that. So so um when a, when we're finished with a, a donor, they are collected by a team. The team um are they all learn like mapping a crime scene, um, scanning the area so that way you know approximately where this donor 
was. You're pretending like it was a real crime scene. That way, if there's a bone that wasn't found at that time, but later on, you know that it's going to belong to the donor that was there previously. Oh, so they okay. were mapping. You learn, you have to draw, again, graphing it out or drawing it out on a graph paper, um, uh-huh. writing any um, any information needed. Then you go through and you're doing ex- excavating and you're sending it through a sifter and you're looking for any type of skeletal remains that you can find or teeth. Um, and we put that all into a bag. Okay. And that, that bag is taken into the lab. And in the lab, we take it, lay it all out and begin the cleaning process. And you've got to get every piece of soft tissue that is on there off. That means ligaments. Oh, so tendons. if they if they haven't decomposed enough, correct. They yes. come into the lab with a bunch of like yes. stuff on the bones. That yes. They... Yes. So what do you and do with what... them after? So after they are all labeled and they go into our collection, um, which is the one that I said originally was underneath Neyland Stadium, but has been moved. So they're all boxed up labeled and put into collections. So even we have cremated bones that are in there um, because many don't know that even though a donor or excuse me, that a uh, skeleton may have been cremated, it goes through a double chamber and still as it comes out the other side, the larger bones, you can still tell, oh, that was a femur. Oh, that it, you mm. know, it, so then um, we are able to uh, see what this looks like and be able to, I guess, uh, do different research or tell um, crime scenes. You know, a, a lot of law enforcement, believe it or not, um, has not been. properly trained to work crime scenes they don't know the difference um between a bleached bone a sun bleached bone Mm -hmm. you know cremated uh some people try to burn bones and you can't just burn a bone without an accelerant so the collections gives us an insight of all the different variables that the human body has, Um, you know, um, whether infants, we're lucky enough to have a few, few infants, um, juveniles, adult, um, elderly, we're able to, um, you know, car accidents to um, explosions to, Wow. Any any way that you can think of is there and, and diseases, um, you know, people that have titanium plates or rods or all of that put in them. Mm-hmm. We have all of that and are able to study how how that works. Okay. So then how okay, so that's kind of the process of the body slash the remains of when they get there to when you're you're done with the bones out in the field now what is 
purpose of the body farm? What is the whole concept? To gain, gain research, gain insight on, I guess, things that in the future. Um, Dr. Bass, had, uh, one of his big research was, um, th that was conducted on, on the body farm was, uh, does, does a, uh, human decomp faster if there's clothes on or if there's clothes off. And okay. so we're able to carry out that research that way when you're out in society and there's an unidentified, uh, skeleton that you find you're able to tell a more exact time of death okay what okay. are the bugs that are involved what do the bugs look like um you know there's bugs are amazing people are grossed out by them i think they are the most fascinating thing um yeah because it depends on what day or hour of comp decomposition which bugs are there what are those called entomologists uh -huh. Entomologist. Yep. Do do they work with you guys as well? They they have a different department, um, but work on the field as well. Yes. So the the biggest. So tell me if this is right because I did mm -hmm. a little research before we talked. So the body uh -huh. farm puts different bodies in different types of scenarios: wet, muddy, dry, clothed, unclothed all these different scenarios to help law enforcement figure out time of death. So law enforcement, but also um, medical field mm -hmm. um, okay. to let's see medical field um, or fat one fascinating thing. Um, drugs. Bugs do not like drugs marijuana is is one thing but hard drugs methamphetamines cocaine stuff like that they will what do you, decomp what? they will decomp slower because the bugs don't like the effect that it has on them so they don't go to that wow so yeah it's really fast so we found that out through through the body farm um so also, if someone's body was found and decomposing and it's day 15 and there's barely anything gone it might be an indicator that there were drugs involved is that a fair right. statement oh, ish ish yes because there's they also have found out that um chemotherapy has that a, a similar effect they don't like wow. that feeling and and you know you think that's a really heavy drug that they're putting in the body to kill something else but uh -huh. it also affects the way that decomposition happens. And so, the decomposition is mainly, is it mainly taking place because of what the bugs are eating at, um, depending on what day, what bug? Um, no, well, the decomposition, I mean, starts immediately. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are familiar with bloat. And when you see their, their stomach maybe distends and, and, um, you know, it's, it's false that people think that they can blow, you know, explode or blow up if you touch them. Um, but no, it's the gases inside the body that are starting to turn into the putrid stages and creating the gaseous forms and start to, to bloat. So um, they create 
the purge it goes in which is the next stage and um so that there's not just one way that decomposition starts it's multiple different ways but i would say the very first is is internally with the gases and everything changing and Mm -hmm. um then you know any holes invites bugs into and then that just um excels Mm. the process okay Um, and then we also have predators that are around you know uh raccoons absolutely love to get their hands on anything that they can and Mm. you know you're the body farm is set up so it's like any other open air area you know um you're out, mm-hmm. out in the woods we can't keep predators away and so you know what what distracts them what brings them on to, you know what what why do they choose this one over that one over there and um or sometimes how do we keep the critters o- away if we are doing research that doesn't involve necessarily the little guys coming in um so yeah just all the different elements it's just fascinating and all of yeah all of these different variables help to figure out where a body is in the in the decomposition process or even was because you can take soil samples and there's going to be remains that had you know purge out of the body that you're going to be able to find um, within that soil so that's also something that we have to take into consideration on the field is that you can't overuse an area because well it's Um, not only you know cross contaminated but but we have to make sure okay there's been a donor here we need to give it time to new growth you know stuff to regenerate so that way we can put a donor in that place again yeah so no cross contamination right and they you know we have um they have canines they teach canine for um cadaver dogs oh Um, wow yeah So, so they're out there too Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the body is so fascinating and, yeah. and it's great that um, people are willing to donate themselves for further education or educational purposes. You know, um, I, I have a shirt that says the dead teach the living. And, you know, it really is true because without these people helping us out, we would never know what we know today. Yeah. So like when we see on these, on the news or on different, different interrogations or police shows, they estimate how long someone maybe have has been left in their home or outside in the elements this is kind of where this is coming from these right. these guesstimates of how long the person was not alive for is that right okay, absolutely wow. and and the reason that dr bass started the body farm was because he was called on to a case and he was an expert witness and um, it was uh, yeah, Dr. William Bass. He's who he is now 90, 94, I think. 
um, and he he does lectures actually all over East Tennessee. He's if you ever had the chance to go hear him uh, lecture, it, it's the best thing. I mean, even wait, it, it cut out. Does oh, lectures uh, all over? He East does Tennessee. lectures. Mm -hmm, yeah, he does lectures all over East Tennessee for the general public. Um, he loved loved his job. He it, yeah. and it's such a macabre field. He is the happiest man I have ever met. And he, he loves to teach. I mean, that's what he was here for. That's um, excellent. But so, so he originally um, was working with Native American, um, Native American, I believe it was, um, just remnants of the Native Americans up in Kansas and whatnot and ended up getting some work down in East Tennessee and um, he got called to a plantation. A lady was having a, a tea and um, a lot of the plantations around here have little family cemeteries on it and okay. they saw that that uh, one of the gravestones had uh, had been upturned and so Dr. Bass was called to the site and he um, found the body or came, assessed the body, brought it back to the lab and, and um, he had assessed it. I can't remember the exact time right now, but it was a relatively short amount of time because he still saw pink flesh on the skeleton okay. and so he gave his estimated time of, of death and um in the uh the cat or where the casket was it was a um cast iron casket which mm -hmm. not really common but um and the skeleton was dressed in a suit that was of, of the time period. So he thought, okay, this is all going along with it. Mm -hmm. We'll come to find out it was actually the general who owned the plantation who had oh. died over a hundred years ago, oh but because gosh. had been, um, he had been embalmed and he had been in a cast iron casket, which helped keep all the bugs and the bacteria away. He was yeah. able to, to hold on to his uh flat you know the the coloring a lot longer so wow, Dr. 100 Bass, years yeah That's over a hundred years yes and so when Dr. Bass is in court they said how how are we for sure how can you tell us for sure that this is the right time you know on another case that this is the right uh time frame of death when you were off previously and he said you know what you're exactly right I don't have a way and so mm -hmm. came the body farm yeah, and he started okay. off uh one body and it was highly highly protested that and, yeah that must have been hard to get off the ground oh no yeah, especially the yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> especially in the south where you know bible belt very oh, right religious area and um once he was able to educate people and um, first started out using transients, um, unclaimed don uh, donors, um, and now, you know, it's progressed to, to what we have today. 
And um, in fact, the uh, true, or well, I guess true crime slash crime author, Patricia Cornwell, are you familiar okay. with her? I'm not, sorry. Uh, she, um, she actually asked Dr. Bass to help her with a favor and he did it. And in turn, she helped us uh, fence the the body farm so okay well, what year it, was that that he I, th- I thought it said I, 71 but I might be wrong. 71 is like when he first started everything but I cannot remember the exact dates without looking everything that's okay up. so it's been about 50 years or so yes yes that's incredible so oh my god so tell me, this might sound like a weird question. <laughs> does like energetically, spiritually, does it feel like out on the farm with all of the remains around you? You know, I kind of find in it, which sounds a little bit weird. Um, no, not at but all. I, I think that um, being a spiritual person, I, I think that they know that this is for a good purpose, giving Mm -hmm. back to um, society. um, And it it, it is, it's really just peaceful and, you know, silly weird things will, will happen, uh, you know, noises or something. And, and there's times that you're on the field at five o'clock in the morning Uh, and, um, and all of a sudden you'll hear a noise. And at first it's like, oh my gosh, what was that? What was that? Run. (laughs) Yes. You're like, no, I'm working. I can't. (laughs) You just, you get used to it. I mean, you know, you don't think about the fact, well, that pacemaker battery was good for five years. So it's, you know, there's, it's still going to go off at times or, yeah, oh I mean, goodness. just silly, silly things happen or um, raccoons like to play jokes with us and just like set up traps, you know, where you'll be walking along and, and there's sticks out are supposed to, not supposed to be there and in the trail and, you know, you just kind of learn to laugh and, and whatnot, but um, yeah, the dark you know, humor I, is real. Yes, 100%. And, and law enforcement they always come in with the premonition of i get to put mental atom or something under my nose right or or we put filters in our nose or something right and we're nope you just you just get used to it oh does it <laughs> yep it is, i'm it, thinking i didn't even think of that but it's outside so i it's at yep yep it's, it's out it's outside and um it can be during the summer months it's very very oh. strong i mean you so know, what does all... that smell like? What would you compare <sighs> it to? Oh my gosh, I don't even know if it's comparable. Uh, meat that's been left in a freezer that's broke. Um, deer, <laughs> you know, a deer freezer. that's been, you know, I guess, or left out for too long, and the flies start coming. You get that? I don't even know. It's undescribable. Like, kind of like say, spoiled meat. Yes. There you go. Spoiled me. Couldn't Ugh. think of an easy word. That's um, kind of or... what you were saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Dear... <laughs> when you first started there, did does anyone get sick or vomit? Oh or yeah. Pass out? Not, uh, I don't think I've seen anyone pass out. 
Um, I've always been doing stuff in the medical field. I was a massage therapist for many years. I worked at a lot of doctor's offices. So it takes a lot for me to get grossed out. But new students, when you bring them out onto the field first, the first time, it's either yay or nay. Some of them can come on and they're, you know, nope, this is a no-go. And they turn right around and go. And, you know, that's okay. There's, there's other parts of forensics, like what you do, you know, where you don't have to visually see everything that's happening right there. You don't have to smell it, but you're still helping another person yeah we i my work is very like um it's a very much like visual impressions based right. off of stories right so we don't see it but we have to listen to the gruesome details and those are like impressions kind of stamped in the brain but very very Wait. different than what you, you are have the oh i mean i guess I learned very fast how to compartmentalize and, you know, that's not to say there are cases, um, that I've seen that, that stick with me. Um, and you know, it especially hits home when it's someone that could be around your age and, and you think, Oh my gosh, this literally, you can wake up in the morning and think, Hey, I'm going to have a great day. And this is what happens. Right. Can you share that, with us like one of your one of your stories or cases um, that stands I, out? One of the cases that stands out um, was a donor, like I said, really close to my age. Um, they looked like they had gotten out and ready for the day. And um that case, I actually am not even sure exactly the cause of death on that particular one, but um, just very relatable. And um, that donor actually uh, was one of them that new students would come onto the field and see them and say, no, this is too close to home. I can't do it. Mm. And, um, you know, in like I said, we have such a wide uh, range of ages that, you know, and and it's sad. There was a time that there's, you know, unfortunately a lot of suicides that were on Mm -hmm. the the field. Um, Sometimes they, if families that just can't afford a uh, burial will donate uh, their body. and, And, you know, so there's, there's a lot into, um, yeah. behind the scenes of, of everything and um, every every single yes. solitary person whose remains are there has a whole story a whole there's just so much there we're so grateful I, I wish that we could get some more juveniles um, but I, you know I, it is hard to release someone even you know you believe that they're in a different, um, they're in a better place, you know, no matter what your beliefs are, it's hard to not have that person by you. Yeah, especially and, the body, even though it's yes. the shell and the um, capsule, yes. it's yes. 
also the only thing that we can, you know, is tangible that we feel connected to. So to physically release that body is, must be a a lot of emotion attached to that. It's, it's so hard. And I always try to tell my students that we're like a shell on the beach. We're borrowed. Our bodies are borrowed for a certain amount of time. And then we have to give them back. And and so, you know, it kind of helps to lift that hardness off mm-hmm. and, and um, let them look at it in a different light. Yeah, um, that's good that you give them a different perspective. Yeah. How, how is it for you guys or for you personally, like when infants come, does it feel different if it's a baby or a teenager or an old person or someone your age like when the babies come how hard is it if at all um infants infants are are hard i mean just because mm-hmm. you feel uh, you know what the parents are are thinking um or mm-hmm. feeling um i do not have children so for me it more relatable um i, I lost a brother uh at the age of 29 and I'm and sorry. that's the one to me where I see someone and like that, you know, that was someone's loved one. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you know, it, it is hard, but again, um, you know, well, backtrack a little bit. Um, you're allowed, they allow students into the lab, uh, within your first year of, of schooling. And that's, but you're, you're cleaning the bones, you're seeing the medical devices that have been implanted, but you're not seeing any hardcore, uh, gross anatomy type of stuff. Yeah, you or like to... a fully intact human. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So it's really easy to not, to picture something different. It's not until mm-hmm. you go out and you actually see this donor and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can put now I'm putting two and two together. Yeah, and... where those bones came from. So yes. uh, when you walk out there, are there just bodies, which yes. you guys call remains, all over the ground in different conditions? Yes. Uh, oh my so we usually call them donors um, mm-hmm. because we're, like I said, we're blessed to have them donate themselves uh-huh. uh, or their families donate. So um, we, we're as respectful as we can possibly be. Um, so typically that's what we refer to them as the donors. But yes, um, the only time we have to, well, I, I like, I guess there's an area large enough for a vehicle to pull in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a little building that's on the site that keeps all of our um, our hazmat stuff. And um, other than that, it's like um, just wooded area. It's like a Three scary of- movie scene with a yeah. hundred bodies all over. Yeah. Now, yeah, and- are some like in mud, some above, some in wet, some in dry? Is it all different? It's all different scenarios for, for the most part, um, we, if we're not doing an, like, I'm trying to figure out how to work this. Okay. Some donors, their soft tissue, the muscle, tendon, all that is not used in the research. It's, it's the skeletal, uh, remains that we need. So in, in, 
situation like that, usually we either um, do a, a burial with them so that way um, law enforcement, we can teach them how to, to do the recovery or um, we put a black tarp, we lay them out, put a black tarp over them because bugs don't like sunlight. So if you can keep the sunlight away, then the bugs are attracted to the, the dark area and able to decomp a little bit faster. So you'll see a lot of black tarp um, on the field, but okay. um, you will also, there's a car that's on the field um that was another large research uh was that uh, is you know the decomp faster if they're in a car clothed with the windows up and oh, so okay. that's one um oh, so the car is filled with donors well no at one point there's nothing in it anymore um that all of the donors are eventually taken out cleaned and then placed into the collection so they never just stay on the field but at some point the but car at has some point yes donors in. oh my goodness yes. that does sound like <laughs> a scariest movie ever it, it really is and it you know it does if you um if you read true crime or or in crime stories and stuff like that then it, it's exactly at first what you picture but after you get used to it you're like wow actually these donors are treated very very well you know we yeah. um it, it's you know they're not just uh picked up and and discarded after yeah we're done that's, with the, the that's project and we're lucky we have out there like do oh, you have ahead. to have a hazmat suit on because of all the bugs and the so we have um tyvek pants What's double that? glove um like paint paint you know painter pants i guess they call it. they you put them on their white you, you see them on crime scene shows oh like coverall kind of like thing? the white yeah yes well ish um you see a lot of like uh uh csi people wearing all white suits okay like plasticky yes yes or vinyl so or we, okay yes so we just wear the pants and then shoe coverings which the shoes are left there we don't take them they're never to be home again um and then we double glove and um that's our protocol oh my gosh so what do you use for detergent (laughs) 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 like bleach bleach. i mean are you ever nervous about what you're dragging in no oh i mean you know I'm not going to lie. I've slipped and fell on the field many times, especially when Uh, there's snow on the ground and you kind of have to, I I guess, laugh and throw up at the same time because what else can you do? Um, But we have, um, we use simple green is an amazing uh, killer of everything. Okay. Um, And then there's just, laundry so we usually uh if we're on the field we change into scrubs and the scrubs just stay at school 
Um, and then, you know, if you're out off the field, like out doing um, a crime scene, then it it, it kind of depends on how uh, gruesome of a case it is, is how much you're uh, covered. Um, you know, some, some, most of the time it's double glove pants and, and the shoe coverings. And, and some of that too is to protect you from destroying other evidence. Cause you don't want your yeah. shoe print to be somewhere that somebody else's shoe print has been. Cause then you're going to spend all day at the ER to get on a whole bunch of antibiotics that are never any fun. Um, but you know, I guess we've been taught enough that there's not a lot of boo-boos that end up happening, thankfully. So just, um, the shoes are, they're like, it's called Tyvek material. It's a plastic type of, uh, material. We put those over our shoes and then the Tyvek pants over our typically scrubs and then we double layer our gloves okay oh goodness yeah that's that's a lot and how long have you been doing this for um I graduated in 2019 and I was on the field for I believe four years before that five years yeah what made you want to go into that field um I've always been interested in um causes of death and um I lost an aunt when I was 18 and then my brother was murdered um when he was 29 And I actually um, studied at the University of Guam, um, which is where he passed away. And I was there for two years. I had had some some training. um, And uh, over there, you really realize how lucky we are in the United States that even though we have... uh, a far from perfect system, mm-hmm. um, the, the corruption, the cross contamination, just, I mean, everything over yeah. in Guam. Um, and they were telling me one thing. And from the pictures I saw, I said, this is absolutely not what happened. And For your I, brother. Yes. Yeah. The, well, first I want to tell you, I'm not sure if, you could hear me before. I'm very sorry oh, to hear you about your much. brother and then in such a tragic way. Thank so you. you. Had, yeah, of course. You had like a personal investment in trying yes. to understand why. Yes. And I'll, I want to share something with you. I don't hope I don't say it wrong, but my daughter is in, she's traveling Europe right now. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And she was in Greece recently and she, you know, together we FaceTime through her travels so I can go with her in my own way. Yeah. And she found this cemetery where all of the caskets were Uh above ground. Yes. 
oh my gosh so she asks like what the heck is going on in the cemetery she thought maybe they were like robbing the graves it was just something like you would we've never seen that here right i is it like in louisiana i don't i don't no, what did they do like, in Louisiana? Well, because of the water table, oh, um, they have to bury them in like I guess they're called mausoleums, like a little above yeah. the ground, um, because if not the the water, oh my gosh, it, you know, the water would force the caskets to come to the surface. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's horrible. I never heard of that. So uh, wonder... No, in Greece they are doing it. From what she was told, and if I remember it correctly. It's because when someone passes away, they're buried, and the family has to pay a sort of rent for the oh for the grave for the casket in the gravesite. And if they can't pay it, they take them out. Wow! I hope I'm. She's gonna kill me if I if I'm saying that wrong. But I am pretty sure that I'm remembering it right. Well, Isn't that know, horrifying? That is horrifying. Because I was and, like, well, what if your family hates you? They're like, I'm uh, spending my five <laughs> bucks a month on their casket. for, th- And it goes on for generations and generations. I, I can't even, Im- I, I can't even imagine that. But Right? You, you know, would I have know like that... a perfect scene there. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It would be, it, oh, man. I can't even imagine. But, yeah. you know, it, it is really fascinating how different cultures mm-hmm. um, deal with with death and with the and, body yeah. yes like you the know, mummification yes and... it, you know over in in guam they have um it's a it's very strong catholic island okay. and they um have um viewings for the deceased for around a week or longer and they Ugh. go all out i mean it is just it's beautiful for lack of any other word it's it's just beautiful the way the 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 stuff that they put into it the the heart that they put into yeah the, are they embalmed yes yes okay. oh goodness yeah because so, that would yeah. be that would be traumatic Yes, it's it's really it's really interesting, and I think yeah, you know that was that I think probably one of my favorite classes was just learning about how other cultures um, dealt with death and um, what they you know how they believed that us in America you know we have so many different ways and so many up and coming ways with uh, they're doing awkward aquamation where instead of using burners they're they're using water to be able to cremate the disease um fascinating so fascinating um they're trying to uh figure out ways to uh let the deceased um i guess decomp on their um, own and be able to use that soil in like, let's say plant a tree or, you know, so you oh, have yes, their the life pods. in the tree. And it, yeah, it's really, really That's what I want. It's yes. So cool. I want like a lavender. Yeah. You can go into a pod. Yeah. Your body. And then you can sprout into a lavender. Yeah. And, uh, plant, my, um, my mom was lucky enough to uh, be able 
to make it my my brother lived for seven days before um he passed and and my mom was thankfully lucky enough to make it over before he passed and um one of my good friends over in guam is a tattoo artist Mm -hmm. and uh my brother was cremated and so we had his cremains put into ink and we have him tattooed on us now oh i oh i've heard of that i love that so it's it's really there's so many different things you can do to commemorate them and you know even um even the donation like um when a child is is born um you have the same size eyes when you're born as you do when you pass away so it's able to donate their their eyes and i mean what a gift that you yes now can i ask you if you're comfortable Mm -hmm. if not i fully understand are you going to donate your body to the body farm if i am still in this area absolutely Absolutely. I, I think it's, I, like I said, the dead teach the living. Mm -hmm. If we can learn from us, you know, even my my parents, um, then we're not using it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You know, let, let someone else learn. Um, and especially to, uh, we're evolving and, 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 you know, whether you believe in evolution or, or not, there's certain things that are um, changing within the human body and it's going to continue changing. And so if, if we can figure, you know, see those things and help the next uh, generation and generation and generation, then absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's amazing. So, If somebody wanted to do what you do, what would you offer as guidance for as far as education? I would say um, to go into, um, I do sociology and anthropology with concentration in criminal justice and criminology. Um, so a blend would, of three for the undergrad for the bachelor. Uh, blended the the two. So sociology has the criminology, criminal justice underneath it. Okay. And um, that way you have a more versatile uh, background. Okay. And um, the with sociology you can do pretty much anything. Okay. Um. And by all means, if you can get into a university that has the body farm, which there's there's two in Texas, there's one in Illinois, um, oh. there's a small one in North Carolina. Um, there's well, I think I it. saw there were seven of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Does that sound right. Yes, yes. And then they have one um, in Australia, but they're still only u- using um, pigs, which are completely different from humans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same. But, uh, <laughs> um, actually, they're they're uh, one of my good friend, my cohort, did a study on uh, pig human 
rabbit uh, research that's actually, there's a paper, research paper on it. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, but I would imagine. Um, I would strongly recommend, I am a hands-on learner, and they allow you to do that hands-on aspect and to volunteer wherever you can. Um, if you want to do crime scenes or work with law enforcement, that there's spots for you there. Do they have, so wait, is it a four-year bachelor's degree? Four-year get- ba- mm-hmm. okay. or And then you can go all the way up um, if you, if you so choose to, uh, to PhD. Now, okay. because the program is so sought after at the University of Tennessee, it is fairly hard to do both your undergrad and your grad um, at the university. So if you choose to go for master's or, or doctorate, then look into, you know, either, either start out at UT and, you know, like there's other great schools that have a similar program, but um, they want you to have that diversity to work with other professionals in the field because, you know, everybody knows something a little bit different. That makes sense. And so, so what's the difference in the day-to-day work of a bachelor's level um, forensic researcher and a master's level? So really, I, I master's level you're just um teaching (laughs) you're teaching more um other than that really if you can get your foot in the door with your bachelor's unless you want to stick to research i would say get your bachelor's and go volunteer places get your hands in as many opportunities as you can there's so many um law enforcement agencies that number one need help and even if that means starting out filing paperwork you learn a lot along Mm -hmm. the way yeah you read the paperwork and that's part of you know learning and then that's a bachelor's you can be a forensic researcher if you get a master's then you have like interns students Correct. under you you're not teaching in the classroom because you need a, to be a phd for that well, right you can, no you can uh, you're a teacher a teaching assistant oh a ta with, okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you while the, you're still working on your thesis and okay so yeah, that's so, the biggest difference then is being a ta otherwise yep. the workload is, and the specific duties are essentially the same yeah Yeah, it's just, it's really getting in good with your professors and just climbing that ladder. You know, I found out definitely it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. And if you can get those good teachers that are willing to take you under your belt or their belt and and tell you what they know, then that will get you everywhere. Um, I have several teachers that were part of 9-11. Oh, wow. You know, just picking their brain, it's probably one of the things that will stick in my head forever. Their stories that they would tell us and and how to relate to everything, you know, and, and 
yeah, it, it, it was a lot, you know, it's a lot. And um, I, I'm grateful for the professors that I had. And yeah. um, now for, you know, reaching out um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Arthur Bohannon, who, who's doing a lot of research, um, having him guide me in directions and, you know, East Tennessee has a lot of well-known forensic researchers slash anthropologists um, around okay. here. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So I have like four more questions. Yeah, no problem. Okay, one, any specific books you would recommend for anyone interested to learn about the body farm? Anything- I saw there's quite a few out there. Anything by Dr. William Bass. Um, okay. His, How do you spell his last name? B as in boy, A-S-S, like the okay. fish. Okay. Anything um, written by him? Yeah. Yes. And he has, there's one, it's called The Body Farm. And then mm-hmm. his second um, biography-ish is Beyond the Body Farm. And it tells how he got started, how the body farm got started. Oh, wow. Different okay. cases that he's done. Um, and yeah, those okay. are, those are two, but he also, also writes, um, with another author, um, and it's fictional, but great books. They're kind of related loosely to some of his cases. So, okay. Okay. Very interesting. I'd say Patricia Cornwell's another fantastic author as well. All right. And then, um, this is way off. But I had, you know, I follow certain cases. I do this work, but I also follow cases that aren't related specifically to my forensic psychology, Mm -hmm. like the Summer Wells case. And she was from Tennessee. Are you familiar with her case? I'm not. She's a missing little girl. And they had, you know, there's been for sure one occasion where they found bones and, you know, people had to go out and figure out where the animal remains right. or what were they. But I was just curious if you had anything. I don't even know if you would be able to speak on it if you did. And I'm, then, yeah, I'm not on on. Um, I'll, I'll have to look into that one, though. I know there. I mean, it seems yes. like there's been a lot in Tennessee lately. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been about two years now since she went missing. I think June would have been two years um, and then the last two questions are, what's the best thing about your job and the worst thing about your job? I think the best thing is being able to help families, being able to help find some kind of oh, you closure. Were- oh. 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 The best thing about your job and the worst. So the best thing about my job is helping families, helping um, find closure, um, helping families in the future. The research being done is going to help the you know next next person in in line maybe find some closure. Um, I, I think it's huge, kind of great, huge, especially yeah. 
especially after losing my brother and, and being able to really put pieces together and say, uh, no, you're, you're absolutely wrong. Right. And, and now, and you know what that feels yes. like to be on the other yes. side. And now you can help people understand and find the truth. My AirPod just kicked in. Oh, oh. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I yeah, I can hear you. Um, I would say the worst part is is sometimes things are just unexplainable, and and that's always hard to uh, comprehend. Like, why can't I figure this out? And and you try not to take it personal that you can't figure things out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just such an evolving thing, and maybe one day you will. That's the greatest part of it I want to thank you so so much is there anything I, I'm sure there's just an abundance of information to talk about but anything that I didn't ask you that you want to no think I think, think that you answered everything uh, or asked everything you know um, if anyone is interested in, in being a donor please go to the University of Tennessee um, website and it directs you to all the paperwork that's needed to fill out and they explain everything and it says let you come in and, and talk to people to answer any questions that you could ever possibly have and uh, if anyone's interested in becoming a forensic anthropologist or doing anything in the forensic field University of Tennessee is an amazing place. Hey, okay, well, thank you so, so much for your time thank and all of your you. knowledge, and I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have okay. a great day. You too. I'll talk to you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.